That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, the podcast where we take a tomato meter score. We say, is Rotten Tomatoes really right about that, or are they wrong? Hence the name of the show, which today's subject, we finally got there, everyone. I know it took a while, but as we celebrate May the 4th, the day this episode dropped, it's kind of become May the 4th be with you. It's a national holiday of sorts. It's an intergalactic holiday. Who am I kidding? Where we celebrate all that we know and love about Star Wars Today's movie, Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, also known as my favorite Star Wars movie of all time, also known as my favorite film ever. I don't. It's the Godfather's. They're adorable. Toy Story. Congratulations, Andy. I love Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi more than any other film. It is my favorite movie, and that's what we're talking about today. We're going to get into the tomato meter. We got two very special guests to bring on, and we'll talk about everything that goes into Return of the Jedi. The movie talk of it all. We're going to get some behind the scenes who we're not going to have joining us today is Jacqueline Coley because she's still on vacation. She's kind of doing like a tour of the galaxy far, far away. So she started out Tatooine. She's going in order of the classic trilogy. So she spent some time on Hoth skiing. She went to Dagobah. It, it, it's hard to find even a rest stop, much less a showering facility on Dagobah. So then she took off, did some time in Yavin 4, and now she's in Endor, probably doing some sort of weird Ewok tradition, and then she'll be back with us next week, I believe. But before she returns, we're knocking out all of like my favorite movies this week because tomorrow we have a special episode we're dropping, Top Gun. Yeah, the 1986 classic that has a sequel that I get to see in like a matter of days. God, I'm spoiled. We're going to be doing a very special bonus episode of Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, talking about Top Gun. But today, it is Return of the Jedi. The audience score is great. I got no problem with the audience score. 94% have at it. 83% certified fresh, but 83%, which if you're keeping score at home, is the lowest as far as the classic trilogy goes in Star Wars canon. So now we bring on some guests who I'm very curious to see how they feel about the tomato meter, about the audience score, about where Return of the Jedi rates for them because they are two gigantic Star Wars aficionados. First up is my dear friend, Wendy Lee Zaney, who you know from the movie Couple. She's a film critic, content creator. She does it all, and she watches a lot of Star Wars. Wendy, welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes and making your debut, I believe, on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. How did we let it go this far? Well, hello, Ellis, and thanks so much for having me. I Look, I can't think of a better way to spend time with you other than talking all things Star Wars, and maybe argue about that tomato meter rating. 
Um, Thag, I don't know which team you're going to be on yet. I have an inkling, so I hope that we're on the same side because, as you know, I'm very passionate about this. And maybe here to referee the proceedings is going to be our other esteemed panelist here. You know him from the hit podcast Force Center. He's a very funny stand-up comedian, and he literally wrote the book on Star Wars. Maybe not the book. He wrote a book on Star Wars called Why We Love Star Wars. Ken Knapsack is here. Ken, we all love Star Wars. Do you love Return of the Jedi? I do, Mark. It's good to be here. Good to be back and good to be talking Star Wars with you, uh, not in a chain restaurant. Uh, no, I absolutely love Return of the Jedi. For those that can see the video, I know I look like a guy selling comics at the swap meet, but I got an Ewok shirt on. I even got my Return of the Jedi storybook uh, here. Wow. I'm ready to talk about this movie. I remember that storybook. Now, Wendy, do you have any Star Wars accoutrement that you would like to show off to everybody who's watching us? You know, it just so happens that I don't really have much in this office that I'm sitting in, but I swear when you go out into my living room, there's a Darth Vader helmet. There is Grogu in <laughs> in his carrier. There are lightsabers galore. I don't know why I didn't stage my office today just to, you know, strike all the other things behind me and put up like because we have so many lightsabers. She's been very humble, folks. Here's what's happened is that five minutes before we went to air, Wendy had a bunch of Star Wars crap behind her and she wanted to clean up to look nice on camera. But then as both of my guests can attest to, when you live with someone else who may or may not be a significant other, they tend to take your your Star Wars stuff and play with it during inopportune moments, which is what I imagine is happening (laughs) at Wendy's place. If it's not uh, your other half of the movie couple, it might be the dog. So I, I know that there's a lot of chaos, but this is why we like to provide a sanctuary in a world that is torn apart by so many different things, at least we can all agree that Return of the Jedi is fresh, or at least I hope I can make that statement. Starting with you, Ken Knapsack, it's 83% certified fresh in the tomato meter. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Return of the Jedi? Uh, you know, um, as I hold up my Revenge of the Jedi patch that's legit from back in the day, <laughs> it, it that might have made it go higher. <gasps> 83%, right? Is that what you said? Is that the number? I did, as Ken is using a, a choke force hold on both Wendy and myself. Mm, uh, I, I, here's what I, I'm going to say that's fair, but at the end of the day, wrong. I think it should be a little higher. Oh, thank God. All right, all right, Wendy, let's go to you now. You seem to be very relieved that Ken said he can at least tolerate an 83%. What about Wendy Lee? Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about that 83% score? Rotten Tomatoes is certainly wrong about that score. 83, when the audience score is much higher, that's a problem for me. Uh, (laughs) This is Star Wars we're talking about. We, you know, at the time I saw this film, I had never seen anything like it. And thankfully my dad sat me down and played all the VCRs for me in order. Um, And I can't imagine why it's sitting at, I'm not saying 83% isn't great. It is certified fresh. And I love that for this movie. I just was hoping to see it, you know, up a few rungs. Yeah, I'd like to see it get its due because I obviously think Rotten Tomatoes is way off base. I mean, look, yeah, I get it. It's certified fresh. I'll take it. But this movie is right up there with the best of anything I've ever seen because of so many things, not the least of which is that this is how I transition into the synopsis. You see, man, are we struggling in the galaxy far, far away at the outset of Return of the Jedi because Han Solo has been frozen. He's literally the, the favorite decoration by the vile gangster Jabba the Hutt. And so Luke and the rest of what remains of the rebellion is struggling to find firm footing because guess what? Remember the Death Star? 
Can you believe Palpatine? Can you believe the stones on this guy? He somehow funded with enough lobbyist money to build a new Death Star. So we're about, I'd say, two thirds of the way complete. It's complete enough to like when you go to like like LAX, when it always has construction going on, you can land in and out of there, which is what Darth Vader's shuttle does at the outset of the film. And then we go to Tatooine, Luke's home planet. We go rescue Han Solo from Carbonite and a vile gangster. And then Luke has some final training with Yoda to do. But then it all comes down to this epic battle that takes place on Endor. And then you also have an outer space battle. And then you also have Luke finally confronting his father, who is Darth Vader. And I didn't even tell you all that there are going to be spoilers in this episode because there usually are on this show. And if you didn't know that that's how it plays out in Return of the Jedi by now, then might I recommend... Um, I, I just don't I, I don't know what the podcast is for you, but if you heard that and you sounded intrigued because you've never seen this movie, congratulations. You now get to go watch for the very first time Return of the Jedi and probably not be as surprised as my parents were back in 1983 when they saw it. So we have our scores. We have our take on it. But now we're going to go to two minutes with Tim. This is a segment where Tim Ryan. Our expert review curation manager breaks down what critics were saying at the time of the release. So, a little nervous about this one. Tim, take it away. Two men's with Tim. After the groundbreaking success of Star Wars and what many considered to be an even greater success with The Empire Strikes Back, the general consensus around Return of the Jedi at the time was that it was the weakest of the three. Still, while critics felt the film suffered from occasional pacing problems, many felt it maintained the franchise's standard for eye-popping special effects and built emotional heft as it went along. What's interesting in retrospect is how many of the contemporaneous reviews were a little wistful about Return of the Jedi being the last of the Star Wars movies. We all know how that turned out. Return of the Jedi is certified fresh at 82% on the tomato meter with 97 reviews, and it has a 94% audience score. And just for reference, the best-reviewed movie in the Star Wars saga is The Empire Strikes Back, which is certified fresh at 94%. Return of the Jedi is two points below Rogue One, which is at 84%, and two points above Revenge of the Sith at 80%. Both of those are certified fresh as well. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review, Sheila Benson of the Los Angeles Times wrote, With this last of the central Star Wars cycle, there is the sense of closing of a circle, of leaving behind real friends. It is accomplished with a weight and new maturity that seem entirely fitting, yet the movie has lost none of its sense of fun. However, in a rotten review, Arthur Knight of The Hollywood Reporter wrote, Unfortunately, it contains the sense that the machinery has already started to wear down, and the inventiveness to wear thin. The Rotten Tomatoes critic's consensus reads, Though failing to reach the cinematic heights of his predecessors, Return of the Jedi remains an entertaining sci-fi adventure and a fitting end to the classic trilogy. So that's Return of the Jedi. Jacqueline? Mark, feel the discussion flow through you. Back to you, folks. Oh, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it all right, Tim. I'm feeling it because I, I think we're already making headway here because at the time of Tim recording that segment, it was 82%. It's already up to 83%. We are trending in the right direction, folks. And so without further ado, I think it's time just to shuttle right on over to movie talk. If you aren't ready for a film discussion, that music gets you on board. But I, Return of the Jedi, it's just, you know, Ken, Wendy, it just seems to be in, in our blood at this point because we've talked Star Wars so much professionally, but also just like Ken intimated, as friends gathered around some sort of dinner table or bar setup, And we just, we loved gushing about this. So, Wendy, you, you were talking about how you and I probably both learned how to operate a VCR 
watching these Star Wars movies, watching the classic trilogy. So do you remember the first time you put eyes on Return of the Jedi and how you felt about it as a film and then also in the context of the classic trilogy? Absolutely. I was quite young uh, when I when my dad showed these movies to me. So even, you know, um, I was living in Taiwan at the time. So language wise, I didn't really uh, understand the English. Luckily for me, there were Chinese subtitles, so I got to read them. But what really fascinated me was the imagery that was popping up on, on screen. And luckily, by then, by the time he showed me Return of the Jedi, I had already seen A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back. So I already had, you know, a pretty good understanding of these stories. I was obsessed with the Ewoks until I realized as a child, keep that in mind, I was watching this as a child, they, you know, brought off their weapons and they hogtied Han and Luke. And I thought, oh, oh, no, Dad, are these mean teddy bears that are going to eat our heroes? And he's like, you just you just watch. You just watch and, and think things will be OK. And everything worked out for our heroes. So I think for this movie, as a child watching this for the first time, we were watching so many things. There are so many creatures from Jabba the Hutt to... Um, the Ewoks to the space battles to the confrontation, the final confrontation between Luke and Palpatine and and Vader. And just kind of listening a little bit to um, Tim's breakdown of some of the reviews from the former critics. And yes, I can agree a little bit that Empire Strikes Back is a little bit more cinematic. I get it. That's the general consensus. And I am fine with that. But to say this isn't as cinematic, I think that is... Uh, I would have to disagree. There is that shot with um, the lightsaber duel between Vader and Luke, and that is 100% classic Star Wars. It's on T-shirts. It's iconic. Yeah. And and you get that choir in the background, and it, just, it really is such a nice climactic swell to not just that movie, but the entire trilogy. It, Ken, when you think about it in terms of the first time you arrived at this piece, you got made by a couple of weeks, I believe. So where were you as far as your film watching career, as far as your your Star Wars fandom? Were you like, I imagine the manufacturers of Teddy Ruxpin at the time where they're like, you know what? If these Ewoks turn out to be menacing bad teddy bears, we are screwed for Christmas. Oh, yeah. I threw my Teddy Ruxpin out the window and bought an Ewok after this. <laughs> I was seven. My previous movie experiences were Annie and E.T., I believe, and at nice. least in my mind. Uh, it's a hard knock life. But I got to see this on opening night in my hometown. I was seven, San Luis Obispo, California, Fremont Theater, downtown San Luis. Uh, the whole town came out to see it. So that was my first real experience. Even though I'd seen New Hope, one in a drive through this was my first real experience. The whole buildup, everything about it. This is how I fell in love with Star Wars and literally uh, riding back home that night uh, and, and probably I think it was a Volkswagen van looking out a window and just staring up at the stars and wondering uh, where uh, this is all happening and what else is going on out in that galaxy. Oh boy. Oh, wow. oh you're just all the feels that now it's starting to manifest itself in the form of an odd salty discharge in my eyeballs because as the story goes in my family, it's funny you bring up Annie, Ken, because we covered Annie a few weeks ago with our dear friend Alicia Malone. And oh. there, as, as a wee tyke, I was a big fan of Annie. And at some points in my career, I might have been a bigger fan of Annie than I even was Star Wars. So the first theater experience I had is, I believe I saw The Empire Strikes Back on an Air Force base. And so that would have been in like 83 or 84. So a few years after the film had come out, I think my first proper movie theater experience was seeing 
Return of the Jedi. But even back in those days, Return of the Jedi like would go in theaters, and then when theaters didn't have anything, they're like, well, I guess we can play Return of the Jedi again. So I'm pretty sure I saw it in like 84 or 85, and it w- I mean, it was new to me. And so it, instantly the thing that I loved about it, and this will be a nice transition into our favorite scenes, and producer Lucy has told me that I'm only allowed to say 17 different scenes from this movie that I love. That's, that's, <laughs> that, that's the salary cap. So we're really going to have to make some cuts, unfortunately. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The thing that really spoke to me as a kid I don't know if it was the color palette. I don't know if it was the juxtaposition of Jabba the Hutt versus Luke Skywalker. It might have just been because I had just started swimming, and it looks like when Luke is on the skiff, he's he's basically walking the plank, but he's on a diving board. And so it is the climax of the first act where we've successfully gotten Han Solo out of carbonite, but he's still blind. He can't really see anything. Lando is now firmly entrenched as a good guy. If there was any doubt after Empire Strikes Back that I don't know if I can trust this Lando. We can trust Lando after how he bailed us out of Jabba's palace. And so Han and Chewie are reunited. We're all in the skiff. We're, we're presumably being pushed into the Sarlacc pit. We're going to be digested over a thousand years to our doom. But that's Luke Skywalker. And he's a Jedi Knight. And right before he gets pushed into the Sarlacc pit, he gives a little nod and a salute to R2-D2. And that means, hey, Get ready. I'm going to need you to drain a clutch three from the corner in the form of shooting my lightsaber, the one that I built. Yeah, not my daddy's, the one that I built out of your top and aim it and arc it just in the nick of time to where I'm going to do this cool little trampoline act and I'm going to flip back onto the skiff. I'm going to catch the lightsaber. I'm going to wreck shop with every one of Jabba's henchmen and then we are all going to be making it safely back to wherever the rebel base is at the time. I don't know what it was about it. Probably something to do with swimming. Probably something to do with jumping. And I love Luke Skywalker. I'm still wearing his shirt from Return of the Jedi today. That is still the one that gets me every time. It's as simple as the salute to R2-D2. And that's what teamwork is, kids. I think my eyes are getting better. Instead of a big dark bar, I see a big light bar. There's nothing to see. I used to live here. You're going to die here. Convenient. Just stick close to Chewie and Lando. We're taking care of everything. Oh, great. It's a tough act to follow because I just love gushing about this movie, Wendy. But if you had to label it to your favorite scene in Return of the Jedi, are you going with that, that, as you said, the, the cinematic epicness that was Luke and Vader finally fighting for an audience of one box seats being held by the Emperor? Yeah, absolutely. I think the reason why I have 17 lightsabers hanging around in my living room 
I've seen them. <laughs> as, light, as lighting sources goes to show that those scenes, specifically in Return of the Jedi, really stuck with me. And my fascination with lightsabers, the way they wield them, um, the way the Siths will use them versus the way Jedis will use them, really fascinated me as a child. And I think that's carried on continuously in my adult life. So now that I can work my job and with that money that I get from my adult job, I can buy children's toys to fund my <laughs> adult hobby addiction. <laughs> Do you remember when when Yoda is basically telling Luke his, his sort of dying advice is parting words or that um, you have to confront Vader one more time if you want to be a Jedi? It, like, did, did that really affect you either either then or now when you're watching just like man this is really like the one thing that luke is a little hesitant to do in order to become a jedi to get that black belt it's like dude can't you just give me 20 burpees and i'll knock him out right now but confronting my dad that seems really really tough does that still seem like the ultimate hurdle to you wendy you know it was kind of cut and dry for me as a child. I think uh, me, I was still so shocked by finding out that he really was Luke's father. And in my mind, somebody like Luke could not have a father who was that evil to blow up a whole planet. So right, right. I was thinking he's going to go in and he's a true Jedi. He was going to handle business. So as a child, I was actually really surprised by, I guess, the turn of events in my eyes when he really sided with his dad and he tried really, really hard to resist, you know, the temptation of the dark side to and, and to see how everything unfolded, to see it was Vader that pushed Pal Palpatine, you know, into the pit as opposed to um, Luke having to kind of lean in a little bit into that anger of the dark yeah, side. And depending on which area you saw this movie and Ken, a, a very verbal reaction from Darth Vader as he picks up Emperor <laughs> Palpatine. I, I, Ken, before I get your, your favorite scene of this movie, I, I want to kind of piggyback off of Wendy's take on on the final sort of you know lightsaber battle is what in your mind is confronting Vader because Luke seems to really use it as an opportunity to see one last time I'm gonna go talk to this guy I'm gonna see if it, it, it's as Obi Wan says it is that he's more machine now than man twisted and evil but I'm his kid I think there's good in him that I can find do you think that that is confronting Vader or do you think that all Luke had to do is like show up be like yeah he looks pretty evil I'm out of here and then he's a Jedi. Star Wars is about hope versus fear. It's about finding hope in fear. This is my favorite scene in the movie, too. I do want to talk about I imagine we'll get to some Ewok stuff later. And I, on the playgrounds in my school, Mark, reenacted the uh, Tatooine Sarlacc pit scene over and over and over again. But this is a quintessential scene in Star Wars. It is hope versus fear. And, and what you're talking about here ties to what Padme said. Her final words were about there's still good in him. Obi-Wan has to take that and carry that forward in Star Wars. That is passed on his legacy of, of Padme, mother to son, Luke here in this moment, still believing there is good in him. When all else, everyone else has chosen fear, including you could argue Force Ghost Obi-Wan at this point, saying you got to confront him. Uh, he's more twisted now, like you said. This is this wonderful moment. So that beautiful scene, which I think is my favorite shot in Star Star Wars. The chorus uh, comes in the first time we heard uh, a choir singing in Star yeah. Wars. Um, but it is a moment of failure for Luke, right? It is him giving into the fear, his attachment to his sister, the safety of his sister that he now knows. And Vader plays on that because that's what the dark side is doing. And Palpatine's just cackling and watching that. So when Luke jumps out in this magical, beautiful shot, it is really him on the, the precipice, of, uh, precipice of failure because he is striking out, which is not what a Jedi does. They use their power for knowledge or defense. So for him to confront Vader, 
He's trying to actually, uh, he's approaching with hope. And if he needs to, he'll have to destroy him uh, uh, to protect the balance. That's what a Jedi does. There's light, there's dark. A Jedi stands before the darkness, for those, not the darkness, but those that would use the darkness to overtake the light. That's what he needs to do. But what he does, and think about the, the, the cultural uh, uh, time where this is released. 1983, George Lucas was telling the story of a hero's journey, a, a kid that goes out to be a great warrior like his father, but learns the truth about his father and is told wars do not make one great. And his final act is, an, is not so much a confrontation and a victory. It is actually uh, compassion, empathy, Luke laying down his life. Uh, and this is in a time where Rocky, uh, we got Rambo, we got Schwarzenegger, we got this, we got that, we got muscles, we got everything, we got Hulk Hogan winning in the ring. You got all these things, and George Lucas is, is is putting this guy out there and saying he wins through compassion, he wins through empathy, he wins by laying it down, and that is what makes him a Jedi. I'm a Jedi like my father before me, and that's when Palpatine strikes him. That is the core of so much of Star Wars. That is why it's the best scene, not just in Return of the Jedi, it's the best scene in Star Wars. Your heat has made you powerful. Fulfill your destiny and take your father's place at my side. Never. I'll never turn to the dark side. You failed, Your Highness. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Yeah, that's a that, that's a mic drop moment right there. And and Wendy, it does seem like that confrontation that a, as a kid you might have at least I looked at it as more of a formality. It's like show up, punch in, punch out. But this was Yoda giving Luke one last test, and, and it wasn't just about Vader or Palpatine. It was about Luke standing, as Ken said, right on the edge of the dark side. And to become a Jedi, to get that knighthood, you need to stand right there and not fall in. You need to not fall prey to that temptation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why, and that scene's, I think, changed a little bit for me too, watching it versus, you know, when I was my younger self versus if I were to rewatch it now, I think it hits differently because as a kid, I didn't understand the, the, the pressure that Luke was under and making very difficult choices, resisting the temptation of the dark side, uh, you know, not to use his anger. And as an adult, I really enjoyed watching that journey because all, throughout the three movies, he's been through so much, finding out who his father is, then it's his sister. Um, so this scene, I think it's such an important scene to see Luke fully graduate into a Jedi Knight. And the way that this scene ends up, as we know, is Vader picks up Palpatine and he tosses him down to the furnace where Palpatine dies. And then we have the forgiveness or the, the tell your sister that, that you were right, where we get to see, you know, I'm not trying to judge anybody, Vader, not the most attractive guy in the bunch anymore, you know, <laughs> when he takes his helmet off. And so he's looking at him and Luke is just looking at what has become of his father and I guess my question to you two is the one bone that I have to pick, not necessarily with the movies, I think the movie does it beautifully, but even the way that George Lucas, the creator, not the director, that's Richard Markham, which we'll get into in a little bit, but George Lucas saying that this story is is the, the rise, the fall, and the redemption of Darth Vader. I'm not sure that Vader was totally redeemed because I don't know that you can redeem yourself after what we just saw in the last two and a half movies. I don't know that you can blow up a planet 
or you can at least co-sign blowing up a planet and torture billions of people not to ruin mentions tens of billions of lives and then be like look uh you know what at the end of the day my bad i i was hypnotized there for a couple decades and tell your sister that uh we're cool and luke you and i are cool um i think that that only redeems darth vader if he dies right then and there which he did but wendy i I don't know that it's a full redemption for darth vader i don't know that if he survives he can just show up at work on monday and everybody's (laughs) going to be a cool with with what just happened you know no he'd be sitting uh nobody would be wanting to uh sit next to his cubicle for a few weeks No, no. It's like, uh, you know, hey, 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 Janice, how's your day going? Well, remember that time you blew up the planet that had my whole family on it? Yeah. Oh, it's going a little rough, Darth. You know, <laughs> I, and, and, and Ken, Ken, I feel like every time I yeah. talk to you about Star Wars, I, I am that that brash youngster who just shows up looking for a great warrior. And then <laughs> and then it's just knapsack chilling on a rock telling Star Wars witticism. So is Darth Vader redeemed? He he is. This is a morality tale. And plot wise, yeah, when the sun comes up the next day, you're right, there would be a problem. And there's some new Star Wars canon that carries on in which the galaxy does not know that Leia and Luke are uh, the, the offspring of Vader. And when that's uh, learned, it's used against Leia politically and it, and it has some ramifications. And so oh. there's something... There's something to that, and I think you're right. But again, this is a morality tale. This is how it's supposed to be. And he's redeemed by this idea here. Uh, Star Wars uh, takes this idea of destiny, something we know. We know on pop culture, right? Destiny, destiny. But Star Wars is about choice. I always say destiny is what brings you to the next choice. Vader, through all the horrible things he's done, comes to this moment, comes to this choice. I really do believe uh, the things he learned, the things that that, that he believed, all the way going back to, to Phantom Menace and Shmi, who was so key to his up bringing. It's all in his heart. It's all there. And in this moment, the war that he's had for over 20 years, the war of Anakin versus Vader inside that shell that he's trapped in, he chooses. He chooses. And that's the big lesson here. The dark side will tell you it is your destiny. You are who you are. You, your grandfather is Palpatine. You can't do anything about it. You <laughs> have chosen this dark side. You can't do anything about it. You killed the planet. You can't do anything about it. Kill the past. Destroy it if you have to. That is what the dark side continues to tell you, where the light side builds. The light side carries you forward. You can always choose to be better. And in the final moments, Darth Vader redeems himself by Anakin coming underneath there, coming out from that shell uh, and, and, uh, and and choosing good. And, and to that note, yeah, he's a, he's a little beat up. You know, if you ever were to see Hayden Christensen getting like a health shake in Toluca Lake, you might I've say, hey, you enjoy your good looks now. Yep. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You keep sipping on those smoothies, kid, because uh, life doesn't get any easier for any of us after uh, <laughs> the tender age of 40. You know, I, I, if, if you see me and I'm, you know, we're lucky to get to go to these fun Star Wars conventions every so often. I think we'll all be at another one in a couple of weeks at Star Wars mm-hmm. Celebration in Anaheim. Fans will stop me because by now most of them know that this is my favorite one. And, and they say, well, why is it? And I could have a different answer, a different scene. But just because we're talking about this epic end of this greatest trilogy of all time, in my opinion, you look at it, and I think the reason why it works on so many different levels is because we get to leave this super intense, more adult-themed battle between father and son with the emperor cackling on. He was having a good time watching it. But then we get to go to watch the the teddy bears. We get to watch the Ewoks rise up and and pull the ultimate resistance move by, uh, you know, superseding the odds. They're huge underdogs, or bears in this case, to the empire, but... A lot like a war that was fought a decade earlier that George Lucas may have based some Star Wars canon on. 
the stormtroopers were fighting on ground that was not familiar to them. The Ewoks know those woods better than anyone. And Wendy, you got to think that not only are the Ewoks a, a great metaphor, but they're also super cute to look at. And they do get the kids to respond to them. And they do sell a lot of toys, but they also serve a purpose. They absolutely do. You know what I like? It, if I could choose a spirit animal from Star Wars, <laughs> it would be Ewok. Cutie on the outside, feisty on the inside yeah. with an everlasting fighting spirit. I feel like that is 100% me. Uh, and I like the juxtaposition of something that's on the surface, so seemingly cute. Oh, they can't harm me. So you immediately let your guard down a little bit. Oh, what are they going to do? Cute me to death. Uh, but they do know these woods. That is their home that the stormtroopers were imposing on. And I, I think it's interesting because you were talking about how we go from this seemingly much darker cinematic fight with the lightsaber duel between Vader and Luke. And yes, that is a little bit darker. But I don't know if just because it's in the forest with the cute Ewoks and it's brighter, it's less dark because you still see injury and death and loss on both Ugh. sides. And like, I, it was a little bit, it was a lot sad for me as a child watching this, you know, watching the little Ewoks fall over and they don't get up. As an adult, it wrecks me. Like, like Darth Vader can blow up all the Alderons he wants to. You let that Ewok live. You let that Ewok live. But if anything, I think that Ken, it might be a harbinger for the rest of the movie where hey, some main characters that you're used to, some, some ancillary characters that we love may not be making it out alive. You never kill the dog, but occasionally <laughs> do you have to sacrifice an Ewok? Lawrence Kasdan was like, I think Han should go. And George is like, I'll give you Nanta, the Ewok, which Nanta's death, <laughs> along with Optimus's prime death and Transformers for the movie, oh, Transformers boy. movie, haunted me for years, those yep. two deaths. Uh, look, if, if we're talking Ewoks, this is the point where I absolutely love it. Are, are, are they, uh, you know, they, can you buy some wonderful toys about them? Yeah, but they represent a lot. And first of all, remember, George, George and Gary Kurtz wanted to make New Hope and go on and do Apocalypse Now. And they were like, we want to tell the, the dangers of war, uh, Vietnam, imperialism, all these things. Eh, you know what, Francis, you take that one. We're going to, George is like, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to the kids about it. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and Endor is Vietnam. You can't get around that. And some people don't want Star Wars political. Eh, George disagrees with you. Um, but what it what it is uh, so it's so powerful because it is the stuff Wendy is talking about. The Ewoks are reminding you that everyone matters. Everyone matters. Everyone should have a say. Everyone should have agency. And you have to see that. The Empire doesn't see that. The oppressive foot comes down to Empire. You know who does see it? Leia. Leia Organa. It's one of my favorite scenes in Star Wars. She's knocked off the speeder bike. We meet Wicket. Warwick Davis killing it as an 11-year-old who substituted. He's a substitute actor because they, they, Kenny Baker got sick that day. He comes in there. Leia sees it. She sees an ally. She sees help. She sees someone that can help win the war. Now, again, do they want to eat Han and Luke? And Luke? Yeah, yeah, they do. They got needs. They get hungry. They low like, gray. They I don't. Like I don't trust low gray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't trust low gray. Uh, the 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 one whispering into Chirpa's ears. That's what that scene represents. That is what the Ewoks are. They are the idea in Star Wars that everyone matters. Well, looks like I'm stuck here. Trouble is, I don't know where here is. Maybe you can help me. Come on, sit down. I promise I won't hurt you. Now come here. All right, you want something to eat? That's right. At the end of the day, they're just starred for entertainment, I think. I think they're like, look, we're, we're not going to burn them, but we need that God to tell us a really cool story because C-3PO, <laughs> yeah. 
Who knew he had that sort of ability? I mean, I would go to a a poetry night if C-3PO was there and I'd be snapping in the front row. You, you look at this movie as as like in the in the whole of it and yeah. and I know that there's a lot of jokes about Ewoks and and the guy who we run into from time to time, Kevin Smith put a really funny one in Clerks where he's talking about, you know, is speaking through Dante that uh Empire's the better film because all Jedi had was a bunch of muppets and it, it, it's a funny joke, but I think that when you really look at it, I think that the shock value of Empire Strikes Back is that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. What? That's like that's such a huge draw-dropping moment, and it's a perfectly made film. And so I never want to be talking bad about A New Hope or Empire when I praise Jedi, but I do think that Jedi is my favorite because I also want to be an optimist. And, 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 and when you look behind the scenes at the creation of this film, I still think today I watched it last night just for kicks, not even because I was doing the show. I didn't need to watch it for the show. I, I, I've seen it enough. I just enjoy watching the movie. The special effects still hold up. All the space battles look amazing. The puppetry work by Phil Tippett and his crew. It, handling the rancor, and I was doing some research that uh, I was rather reading some research that our hardworking researcher Mark Hoffmeyer sent us for each one of these episodes about the making of that sequence where you have a couple different rancor options. You have like the hand puppet rancor, and then you also have these like giant wooden sort of stand-ins for the rancor that they wanted Mark Hamill, who plays Luke Skywalker, to look at while he was battling. And the whole sequence just cuts together phenomenally well Luke great fastball especially if he's throwing a skull but even in that moment we get what's the guy's name uh, Malakili the Malakili yeah. yeah. the, the rancor trainer I am instantly going from rooting for Luke to defeat this demon to thinking oh no what, what happened to the, the cute little rancor is gone it, 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 talk about that. That upset, that upset me, too. Uh, first of all, I thought that was George Went, which confused me for years. <laughs> it's not. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That upset me for years, too, because I was terrified. I, I, I was I was a skittish kid. You know this. Uh, and uh, that 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 rancor absolutely frightened me. So and, and I said Richard Markham is the director of this film because he is. And originally. Wendy, it was, it's known now that George Lucas was sort of thinking about tapping his dear friend Steven Spielberg to direct this final version. I, th I think maybe it passed through Brian De Palma, and that was like a quick hello, goodbye, cup of coffee consideration. And then Spielberg couldn't do it legally because there was a strike going on at the time of the Directors Guild, and so enter Richard Markman. I, I don't know who really was pulling the strings back. I imagine George had a lot, and I've read a lot of stories that said George was you know, sort of an overbearing executive producer story kind of guy to Richard Markham. But at the end of the day, this thing cut together well. Wendy, I guess my question for you and then Ken is, does this film change if Steven Spielberg does it? Is there some way that Jedi gets elevated more? Is it just a different movie? Do you see it playing out markedly different if the legend Steven Spielberg does this movie? I mean, potentially, we're playing with a lot of what ifs here because it is the Steven Spielberg. So that I think immediately would have gotten a lot of butts in seats. Uh, however, yeah. let's let's you know go with what we got here, and I think what he captured wasn't. And granted, I think when we have a Steven Spielberg film, it would have been just as or maybe even more cinematic than um, mm -hmm. Empire. But here's the thing. What I really liked about Jedi is it, it captured the heart. Like out of the three movies, this is the heart of the trilogy uh, because we're not just seeing Luke's journey. We're seeing, there's just so many elements going on in it. And I think 
that's why I try not to think about, oh, what if Steven Spielberg did this? And sure, a big, you know, director's name slapped on the movie poster would have been great. But I think he really captured the essence, the heart of this film. And isn't that a huge credit to the movie that we have, Ken, is that I'm giving you Steven Spielberg and you're like, "Ah, I don't want to mess with what we got. Yeah, look, I think the the legacy of Richard Marquand directing this uh, starts with what you're talking about. Uh, Lucas at this point is uh, is not in the DGA. Uh, he has left it, uh, not because he doesn't love unions uh, or believe they should exist. It's that he b- believes the DGA no longer serve the purpose. It's almost like George went on to make three films about uh, organizations and how you should not trust them, but maybe believe in the ideals. We'll deal with that in 1999, 2000, 2005. Uh, but I, 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 I'm with Wendy on this. I, I, I think it would have been great. George and Steven clearly know how work, uh, to work well together. And I, I absolutely love Spielberg. And I think we would have had some uh, Amblin magic. I just, I, I think Richard Marquand did bring out what he needs to out of it. I understand some of the critiques. This is why up top I said uh, that 83% maybe is fair. I just think for the story, it should be more, you know, there's some shots that are kind of, that that's not fair to Richard Marquand. He, he had a, a crazy crazy uh, hard task to direct this film with George over his shoulder. I think even there's a quote of him saying, yeah, this is like, you know, directed a play, a Shakespeare play with Shakespeare, like going, here's, here's what I meant. It's so hard, but I think he still pulled out of it. I, I was watching this comedy special the other day called like Dog Stepfather. And the guy on stage was telling the story about, hey, this is my favorite film because we win. We won. And Richard Marquand absolutely captured that energy. Wendy's right there. I, I appreciate you bringing up the, uh, the bit I do in Dog Stepfather. I, I wanted to play it in, in the context of this show, but A, because I knew we'd be gushing about this for at probably well past our runtime anyway. Uh, also, um, Bill Burr is the producer of my special, and I didn't really feel like texting Bill, hey, is, am I allowed to post this in my podcast? <laughs> He's kind of in the middle of an arena tour, so do you want to check out the bit I do about Return of the Jedi and why it is my favorite movie? You can check out Dog Stepfather on Amazon Prime. Ken, the check is in the mail. Um, I have one more what-if question for both of you. And and then we'll get into sort of our, our last, you know, rankings and all that stuff. Does this movie change for the better or for the worse in your eyes if Han Solo dies? Because originally Harrison Ford thought it was the right idea for, for Han Solo to pad. There was a, a lot of discussion um, with the crew, with the creators, what do we do with the Han Solo character? Is it best for him to go out with his boots on and to maybe give us one more emotional feel at the end of this movie? Wendy, does this movie change for you if Han Solo doesn't make it out alive? First of all, how dare you? How dare you even <laughs> utter those words? Absolutely not. Uh, I would have been heartbroken. <laughs> this movie would have, you know what? Then I would have been like, lower the score if Han Solo didn't make it out of this movie alive. I need the original trilogy. I need Han, Luke, and Leia, the Holy Trinity, together, happy, victorious at the end of this film. It just would not complete the Star Wars circle for me, if that's the way you know, it know, It's another one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and it is just that nice Walmart photograph shot at the end where everybody's just kind of sitting, chilling, and... You know, after after all of us, we've we've all been on grueling shoots before, sometimes together, and that's all we want is just to go across the street to whatever taverns right there and just just celebrate what we just accomplished. Now, maybe we didn't, you know, fall an empire, but it, it was a it was a good day's work put in, and we want that party on Endor. We want to feel yubnub. So, Ken, from your perspective, Han Solo dying, how does that change our perception of Return of the Jedi if he indeed doesn't make it out? 
I think what it does later on is when you start to grow up and you get a little older and you start to, oh, oh that's right, Empire is the better one. Which, by the way, I, I think I'd say Empire is the better film too, but that, that's this very, it's a critical look at it. I think I think the, the Jedi would have had more uh, weight in, in some of those film school discussions about, well, this is what you're, you're supposed to show that there's a loss to this. But I love that George fought against Lawrence Kasdan and even Harrison Ford saying, no, this is not what we're doing. Again, it's this morality tale for kids and I want that to to, to to end a little bit differently. And he's not one for tradition. This whole movie is not a traditionally formatted movie. You got this little short film with Chaba in the beginning. Uh, you got something different here. He's always uh, at play. This is what the, the, the genius of the prequels are. They don't follow a formula. They follow the story he wants and needs to tell. Uh, so that's what I love about it. Plus it would have, it's a, it's a what if I'm not going to play because then you don't get one of the most important things in the Star Wars story to me, which is Han's uh, cheek touch of compassion on Kylo showing yeah. that compassion and the fate of hate can can change things and can save the world. Uh, it's a big, heady concept, but that's what Star Wars is about. And I, I will always fight that Star Wars needs to have a, a dark and gritty tone. Rogue One serves that purpose, but still ends with hope. Star Wars needs to always go towards hope over fear. And I think that's what George was thinking about. And, you know, Harrison was grumpy. Come on, Harrison. Where does this movie rank? for you amongst all the Star Wars movies. So I, I at least want your favorite Star Wars movie if it is not indeed Return of the Jedi. We all know where I stand. Return of the Jedi is number one for me. And then you can really take your pick of the other two classic trilogy films to fill in the number two and the three slot. Number four for me is either Force Awakens or The Rise of Skywalker. Um, I, I, I'm not, th those are kind of like depending on the day too. So as of right now, I'd probably go Jedi and then I would go New Hope, and then I'd go Empire. But again, that could change. Wendy, how about for you? What's your favorite Star Wars movie, if it is not Return of the Jedi? It, as much as I love Return of the Jedi, I've got to go with the one that started it all, and that is A New Hope. That was the first time I ever laid eyes on Star Wars, and that remains to be my top favorite Star Wars film. And then I actually would put Rogue One in there because we uh, love a good prequel and I thought that movie was executed <laughs> pretty well. And then we go chronologically for um, order of release. Then we go with Empire Strikes Back and then the, uh, the uh, Return of the Jedi. See, you're just a good old fashioned New Hope gal. You love a New Hope, then you love anything that like that goes yep. right next to a New Hope. Which it's it's such a great seamless sort of the end of Rogue One, and and boy, what an ending that was to the beginning of a New Hope. And it's like that's the best four and a half hours of, of Wendy's day right there. The best part about Rogue coming out of Rogue One was you don't have to go if it's the first time you see the movie and your first venture into Star Wars. You don't have to go. Huh, I wonder what happens next. <laughs> they get away, you can just go and pop in a new hope. Yeah. Yeah. Or you just hit a button now. God, we're yeah. spoiled. <laughs> Ken, yes. you're, yeah. Wendy and I are still stuck in our VCR days. Um, how about you? I, I've seen your multimedia setup. I've seen yeah. your Star Wars corner that you have at your house. So yeah. what is your, you said your favorite Star Wars movie is still Empire? Yeah, yeah. I, look, I, you know me, Mark. I hate ranking because I haven't had lunch yet today. My ranking's going to change after <laughs> I have a sandwich in me. Like, it's all about different moods. Every movie serves a purpose. I do think Empire works not just because it's critically the best. It, it just, it changed the game, and I think you have to recognize that. Last Jedi is probably at times number two because it's a deep philosophical deconstruction of what Star Wars teaches us and then confirms yeah. all that uh, in the end of the film and says, yes, it's important what this franchise has taught us for generations. Uh, but then, you know, Jedi, Return of the Jedi starts to slide down, Mark, but then 
you know, I have so much fun watching Rise of Skywalker. That's like going to church for me. But so is so is Return of the Jedi. And that scene, that is my favorite scene in Star Wars. It's the one I wrote about. It's number two in my book. Number one, you could see, uh, is a little bit of a swerve. But uh, it, it's the most important thing, that whole scene with Luke and Empire, uh, or Luke and the Emperor. So, man, I don't know, four, five, six, one. Let me eat. I'll tell you. I, I also have to point out how much I love. A couple other scenes is uh, Luke actually standing over the burning armor of Darth Vader. I think that is yeah. just so emotional. And so, you know, if for a kid who saw the closest thing that he knew to parents burned on Tatooine, to see this is sort of the, the right way for Vader to go out where he apologized. And now we're just offering him up as I, we, you know, we hope in the next life he gets to regain that balance and get that all important blue light around him. We <laughs> pan up to the forest moon of Endor skyscape. And, which looks remarkably like Seattle, Washington, by the way. Have you ever been up there in the summer? <laughs> oh, my God, it is beautiful. I've been to the Redwood Forest, too, in Northern California, where they filmed the Endor sequences. And it's yeah. just, I mean, you can't believe, it feels like you're on the forest moon of Endor. But I will also give a yeah. shout out to one of my favorite Star Wars characters is Yoda. And just the way that Yoda goes out, like an absolute boss. He he drinks his last Budweiser, and then he gets in bed, and he's like, all right, I'm uh I'm just about done here, but uh, there is another. And Yoda, in classic Yoda fashion, just teasing us with the idea that there might be more movies to come somehow on some distant planet. It's just, uh, you know, it's why this movie gets me in my happy place. It gets me emotionally. It it gets me just from a fan of looking at cool things on screen and... It's my favorite lightsaber. Can we at least rank the lightsabers? What's your favorite color lightsaber? Ken, start with you. Your favorite color lightsaber. I didn't have time to reach over there. I still have my 1995 Power of the Force 2 Luke Skywalker green with the same original double uh, double D, double, triple D, whatever batteries they are, the ones you can throw at a, at a, at a outfielder in Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> it, it's still in the corner. That is my, my favorite lightsaber. Luke Skywalker Green, that would be mine as well. Wendy, you own pretty much every lightsaber that has ever been modeled after a Jedi Knight. Your favorite color of blade. First of all, where Ken, where do you find all this stuff? <laughs> Teach us I, your I, ways. I'll tell I'll tell you. <laughs> 1995, I was studying screenwriting and film production, uh, starting my radio career, and next door to my college was a Toys R Us. Me and my friends would sneak out on our education to go buy the Power of the Force 2 figures and merch. I, I bought that in 1995. It has gone with me every day of my life. Every apartment, every house, every move. And I've never once changed the batteries and it still works. That's oh. your Buzz and Woody. That, that, that's yeah. you. It, it's been with you through multiple uh, versions and phases of Ken's life. So I have it. I didn't graduate college, but I have that. <laughs> well, yeah, you know. We can't all have You graduate everything. in life, Ken, with yeah. that lightsaber. Uh, for me, favorite color. Can I go something that's outside of the original trilogy? Go rogue. Uh, yeah, why not? I got to go with uh, the white sabers uh, via Ahsoka Tano. Got to oh, do that's it. A, that's my girl. Yeah. All right. I'm, again, going to be boring and go with uh, Luke Skywalker. Green is my favorite. The blue is is a close second. I never gotten to pull off the green tie like that. I always wanted to have like a black suit and then have like the the Luke Skywalker tie, but every time I dress up, I feel like I look good, then I look in the mirror and I just all I can hear in my head is welcome to Olive Garden, how many in your party. So, <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to be able to pull that one off at my next uh, nuptial ceremony, but that is going to do it. That is going to close the book here for Maybe we could just do this like an annual thing, Producer Lucy, where we just get to talk about Return of the Jedi once a year. So we'll we'll talk off screen about that. That is it for Movie Talk. Let's go to Mailbag. 
All right. Well, the the odyssey of Alex Hellier's class continues because another Ketchup Crew member is student M, who is in year nine in Professor Hellier's class. Dear Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. I believe Venom is way underrated with its score. Venom is a breathtaking thriller with amazing visual representations, yet the rating is only 30%. Venom is not only an awesome action movie, it was one of the most popular villain films in 2018. Some people might not like the movie Venom because it seems rushed and boring, but different movies aren't meant for everyone, so people who love thrillers will definitely like Venom. Overall, Venom is a spine-chilling movie, so I believe its rating should at least be higher than 80%, and that is from M, who, again, is in Alex Hellier's class, and Alex Hellier, a big fan of ours, as is uh, the entire student body there at that school. So if you want to be like student M or anyone in Professor Hellier's gaggle of students, go ahead and email us at rtiswrong at rottentomatoes.com and let us know which movies you think Rotten Tomatoes may have gotten wrong or your thoughts on a movie we already talked about, like Return of the Jedi. So... Now, parting is such sweet sorrow, but I'm going to give Wendy and Ken a chance to promote their projects upcoming. Then I do have a quick trilogy closing trivia question for them. Wendy, where can everybody find you out there on the social medias? What are you up to in and outside the galaxy known as Star Wars? Up to too many things and not enough sleep. You can find me on YouTube <laughs> over at the Movie Couple channel where we talk about trailers, trailer reactions, movie reviews, and food vlogs. Uh, you can catch me in person. At Star Wars Celebration coming up, uh, I am I'm so excited. It's my first one. I don't know what to expect, uh, except me screaming a lot probably over everything That's your I get to see and hear. First celebration? My first one. <gasps> oh, we are gonna have fun with I'm gonna you. come home with five more lightsabers. Well, I got good news because not only do you get to do a lot for the movie couple channel there that weekend, but it's just an amazing, like literal celebration of everything Star Wars. Also in Anaheim, I think your food vlog is gonna get a big bump because I'm willing to participate. They have food trucks lined up outside <gasps> of the convention center, and I just go food truck to food truck, and I put on 15 pounds. There's the freshman 15, there's the COVID 15, and then there's the Jedi 30. That's what I put on <laughs> in one weekend at Star Wars Celebration. Ken, I know you can sympathize. Can the folks find you at that wonderful convention as well? And where else are you appearing? Yeah, in addition to uh, Four Center Podcast with Joseph Grimshaw, Jennifer Landa, you can also go to my website, kednapsuck.com. If you like music, I have a radio show called Pop, Rock, and Radio on Mixcloud. i got a comedy date coming up at Doug Weston's Troubadour locally hey. in L.A., June 4th. Some guy with a comedy special about Return of the Jedi is hosting the show there. <laughs> uh, and then I will be at Star Wars Celebration if you're around. Uh, me and Joseph will be on the Star Wars Explained panel. That's Alex and Molly Damon talking about our favorite background Star Wars characters. That's on uh, Thursday, 2 p.m. if you're looking. But other than that, I'll be around the corner chain restaurants having shrimp scampi that is saturday night june 4th is that big show at the troubadour that i am fortunate enough to be hosting a lot of great comics including ken knapsack ryan sickler and then we have a great band that is fronted by tyler boone our good friend and very talented musician you can get tickets at my site mark ellis.live i promised a trilogy closing question here it is i'm going to give you four part threes of some of the greatest trilogies of all time i'm counting indiana jones as a trilogy I'm counting Star Wars and I'm counting Lord of the Rings as trilogies. What I'm going to ask you to do is take these four movies and give me your best prediction as to where they rate on the tomato meter, highest to lowest. So Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, Back to the Future Part 3, and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Mm. So Ooh. Wendy's making a face. She did not know trivia was going to be a part of the proceedings I am, today. I'm not prepared. I need, a, so, I need to take notes. Can we have the rundown okay. of the movies again? Okay. It is Return of the King, the Lord of the Rings film. It is Return of the Jedi, the greatest movie of all time. 
It is Back to the Future Part 3 and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Ken, I'm going to go to you first. One Do to your four. best to rate those movies from top to bottom as far as the tomato meter score. Okay, I'm saying number one, uh, Last Crusade. Number two, Turn of the King. Number three, Turn of the Jedi. Four, Back to the Future. Three. Ken has two right. Okay, so Wendy, to defeat Ken, you got to get more than two in the proper position. I am notoriously bad at anything trivia, <laughs> which is why I don't like to participate in them. But for you guys, I will. Um, from top to bottom, uh, Return of the King, Indiana Jones, Turn of the Jedi, and Back to the Future. Wendy, tell me where to mail the gift card because you have won the Tomato Meter yeah! Trilogy game. Let's go, Olive Garden. <laughs> it is. I, I, I know a guy that works there. It is Return of the King is 93%. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is 88%. Return of the Jedi at 83%. Maybe we'll get up to 84% by the end of this episode. And Back to the Future 3 is 80%. So there you go. It's not easy to make a sequel. It's probably even harder to close out a trilogy, but all of those franchises did so admirably. But none greater than Return of the Jedi. So by default, Wendy Lee Zaney's your winner. Kent Knapsack was also here. Make sure you pick up his book, Why We Love Star Wars, and check out his podcast, Force Center. Wendy Lee Zaney, you can subscribe to the movie Couple on YouTube. As for me, Mark Ellis, like I told you where to get live tour days, you can just follow me online at Mark Ellis Live. And that does it here. But tomorrow, it's a bonus episode all about another movie. I do not have to do the research for it all because I already took care of that in high school and college. Top Gun from 1986. Mav, Goose, Iceman, Slider. And they ain't just playing volleyball, kids. They're naval aviators, flighting fighter jets. We're going to be talking about that with the action fellas. Ben Babin and Andrew Guy are going to be joining me for that very special bonus episode. Check that out. In the meantime, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff that you love doing to your favorite podcast. Do it for us. It makes us feel all nice and special. And for everyone here, Brian Perez, our brave engineer, producing Lucy, our own Princess Leia. I am merely Mark Ellis. Red 5 signing off and saying thank you for watching this edition of Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. If indeed you watched it, you probably listened to it, in which case... Thanks for putting us in your ears. May the force be with you always. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.